Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I do all of this full time and every dollar you give helps keep all of it going. From the beginning of June until the end of August, I will be taking a cross-Canada history tour. I'm going to be visiting various rural historical attractions, all of the graves of the Prime Ministers except for R.B. Bennett because he is buried in England, and I'm going to be going from coast to coast to coast, the Atlantic, the Pacific, and the Arctic over the course of the 90 days. This is going to be a bare-bones trip for me, sleeping in tents and just enjoying the history and nature of Canada. If you'd like, you can help support this trip by going to my GoFundMe page. I'll put the link in my show notes. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and From John to Justin, available on all podcast platforms. Today, I'm looking at the history of Roblin, Manitoba. It's a fascinating community with a deep history that is really interesting to check out. So, we're going to go through the history, and as usual, I won't be going through a chronological look at the history, but instead looking at various aspects of the history. So let's get right down to it. Indigenous History Prior to the arrival of settlers and fur traders in the area, the land was occupied by various indigenous groups through the years. For centuries, it was home to the Anishinaabe and the Sioux, as well as various Cree bands that moved through the area. The bison were a major food source to the indigenous for centuries before the eventual decline of the species due to overhunting. One of the most prominent indigenous groups in the area were the Métis, who began to appear as fur traders arrived in the area through the 17th century thanks to trading with the Hudson's Bay Company and Northwest Company. One Métis family actually operated a trading post in the area of what would one day be Roblin around 1882. The San Clara, Makarov, and Boggy Creek. The Métis have had an immense impact on the history of Manitoba. Near to Roblin, just to the north, you will find the history in many places at San Clara, Makarov, and Boggy Creek. There's not much left at these locations, but they still have some hidden gems that you can enjoy. I'm going to go through some of these historical locations and buildings in this section. Not everything is related to the Métis, but they would lay the foundations for the history of these locations. 
Nearby to Boggy Creek, there's Grand Prairie School. Originally built in 1918 using a loan of $2,000, this schoolhouse was only one room and operated near Boggy Creek. In 1920, it was expanded to 22 feet by 30 feet, with a stable added to the property in 1926. Through its years, the school was often too small for the number of students who used it. In the late 1940s and early 1950s, schools from the area would be repurposed and renovated to serve the needs of the students. In 1963, a larger multi-classroom school was finally built and it would operate until 1971 when it closed and students were bused to Roblin. The school still sits on the property to this day. The San Clara War Cemetery is located just off of Highway 367 near to what was once the thriving community of San Clara. The memorial honours those who gave their lives from the area in the First World War and Second World War. Also located nearby you will find the San Clara Parish Cemetery, which is the final resting place for the early Métis pioneers of the area. Founding of the Community Coming into the area was no easy task in those early days, with roads mostly just being prairie trails and there were no fences, so trails were the only way that people knew which direction to go. Often settlers would arrive in the area traveling on foot or through the use of oxen and horses. During these years, when the first settlers were arriving, one old trail went through what would one day be Roblin, which at the time was only a tent, and in that tent was a store owned by two men named Take and Crawford. One interesting note about the formation of Roblin is that on September 23, 1903, Tobias Norris would survey the future town site. Norris had served in the Legislative Assembly until that same year when he lost his re-election campaign by only 96 votes. He would come back though in 1907, serve until 1928, and during that time serve as the 10th Premier of Manitoba from 1915 to 1922. This makes Roblin a community surveyed by a future Premier of Manitoba and named for a different Premier of Manitoba. The first post office would be opened in 1904 by J.W. Atkey, around the same time that the railroad was being built through Roblin. One of the more amazing things about the post office is that generations of the Kynes family have served as postmaster for 100 of the 117 years it's operated, including the most current postmaster, Larry Kynes. It was in 1904 that the first lots were sold for what would one day be Roblin, with T.A. Burroughs serving as the auctioneer. A total of 367 lots on 104 acres of land were sold. With the selling of those lots, the population of Roblin skyrocketed through the year and into the next, going from 33 people to 623. Originally, the community was called Goose Lake, but soon after its founding, the decision was made to rename the community in honour of Sir Rodman Roblin, who served as the Premier of Manitoba from 1900 to 1915. His son, Duff Roblin, would also serve as Premier of Manitoba from 1958 to 1967. In 1912, the Board of Trade was organized, and in 1913, the first council of the newly created village of Roblin was elected by acclamation. By this time, Roblin had a thriving business sector with 10 general stores, two real estate offices, three law offices, two butcher shops, three tailors, two garages, three oil company stations, 
two pool rooms, and two churches. The first fire engine would arrive in 1909, while the fire brigade would exist in a small capacity until it was reorganized in 1918, and then in 1922, the Roblin Volunteer Fire Brigade would be created. Roblin would continue to grow and prosper, and by 1985, the community had 2,000 people, with 7,000 in the trading area of the municipality. Within the community, you can find a snowmobile club, many cycling opportunities, hunting, fishing, and relaxing days at the lake. One interesting fact about the community is that CN Rail actually has a passenger service to Roblin, and you can stop in the community, something that is incredibly rare these days of limited train travel. If you prefer to just walk and enjoy your surroundings, you can enjoy the Trans-Canada Trail, which goes right through the community and offers beautiful scenery of not only the town, but the surrounding landscape. Interesting Stories One of the things that I love about rural communities is that they have wonderful stories to tell. These stories can range from the unique, the funny, the tragic, and the downright strange. In 1922, a great flood hit the area when a wet fall soaked the land, and the spring had heavy snow, creating the perfect situation for flooding. Water began to pour over the landscape, going into cellars and in various communities in the area, people were moving through the streets on boats, rather than walking. The water pressure was so great that one railroad embankment gave way, including the track, shooting the water into the air and rushing it down the hill towards several homes. That embankment would actually not be filled in properly for another 20 years. In 1927, a windstorm came through the Roblin area doing considerable damage and sending one person to hospital. The windstorm, described as having cyclonic proportions, passed through the farm of Dan Roberts in the evening, just as he went to his house to prepare his evening meal. The windstorm hit, smashing his home to pieces and throwing Roberts, causing him to suffer a fractured jaw, several broken ribs, and other injuries. Several more buildings on the property were smashed into pieces, and three threshing machines were destroyed, with parts showing up several kilometers away. The 1930s was the time of gangsters, and a few gangsters even hit Roblin looking for a quick score. A group of men had robbed several places in Roblin, Inglis, Shell Valley, and Gilbert Plains in 1934, before they were arrested on September 30th of that year. Through their robberies, the men had stolen various goods and cash, which was eventually recovered upon the arresting of the men. John Sadaway was given three years in Stony Mountain Penitentiary as the ringleader, while Ted Gorda was given 18 months and Alec Titan 15 months. The lightest sentences were for John Potenko, who was given a two-year suspended license, and Fred Gorda, who was fined $25. Jesse James Another interesting story from the area, if it's true, comes in the form of the legendary outlaw Jesse James. While Jesse James is known for his escapades in the South, there are some who claim that the legendary gunslinger and robber came up to Manitoba at some point. For some around Roblin, there are rumours that he buried some of his Wells Fargo boxes near the community. Of course, where they would be and if it's true is lost to history, but it's a fun story to think about. According to some stories, the James gang would hide out very close to the Canadian border, sometimes even crossing the border. 
Some say one of the James brothers even settled in Manitoba and gave his pistols to a blacksmith. Other places that James is rumored to have buried gold is in Ontario and near Portage le Prairie. One man named Horace Forbes related when he saw Jesse and his brother Frank in the area, he would say, quote, There were the James brothers, Frank and Jesse, on one of their trips into Canada. End quote. So head over to Roblin, and who knows, you might just stumble on an outlaw's treasure. Assisipi Provincial Park Nearby to Roblin, straight to the south, you'll find Assisipi Provincial Park. The area has been occupied by the Cree for centuries, which is where the name comes from. Assisipi means Stone River. The shape of the park was created by the Kiawatan Ice Flow, which happened as the ice sheets melted 10,000 years ago, creating a glacial spillway and meltwater channel. In 1882, the town of Assisipi was built, and a dam was built to harness its power for a flour mill and a sawmill. The town only lasted 10 years until the railway came through bypassing the community. On April 9, 1964, the park was officially created by the government of Manitoba. Today, it offers several camping and recreational activities and is a beautiful spot to visit in the summer. In the winter, there's also a ski hill that is very popular among locals and tourists. The Cockrell Mill in 1912, Charles and Rudd L. Cockrell began to operate a small mill near Marydale, northeast of Roblin. In that first year, they would harvest 159,000 board feet of lumber. Before long, the mill was growing in size and employed 35 people in the logging camps and 25 at the sawmill. According to some legends, there are ghosts that hang around that old site, haunting the land that was once harvested by dozens of men over the course of the years. So maybe if you go up to the area late at night, who knows what you'll see in the woods. Mitchell's Drugstore Sometimes in communities, there are businesses that have been around for nearly as long as the community itself. Roblin has many such buildings, like Crosstown Motors, that dates back to the early years of automobiles in the town. Another business is Mitchell's Drugstore, one of the longest-running family businesses in the entire area. The story of the drugstore dates back to Erwin Mitchell, who was born in Stonewall, Manitoba on January 10, 1882. In 1907, he would graduate with a degree in pharmacy, and he would move into Roblin where he met his wife Margaret, and he would take over the Roblin drugstore. For the first two years of their marriage, the couple lived in the back of the store, before moving into a bungalow nearby. Erwin was not just the local pharmacist, he was also on town council beginning in 1913, when he was elected as a councillor. Later that year, he became mayor, serving until 1915, and he would serve as mayor again in 1923, remaining in the post until 1939. Irwin would die on November 19, 1956, but the business would not disappear. His son, Graham, would also get a degree in pharmacy, and he would work at the drugstore in Flinflon where he met his wife, Julie. In the Royal Canadian Air Force, he served as a pharmacist, and in 1945, he returned home to Roblin. The next year, he took over the pharmacy upon his father's retirement. His son, Jim, would take over the pharmacy himself in 1973, after also graduating with a degree in pharmacy. Today, Mitchell's Drugstore is operated by Whitney Mitchell, the daughter of Jim Mitchell. 
She graduated with a degree in pharmacy, and she and her husband, Sean Keeler, continued to operate the store. As for the building itself, it was built in 1914, with the storefront changing many times. In 1952, the store was expanded, and new fixtures and a new dispensary was added in. In 1963, the store was expanded on again due to increased traffic and the growing size of Roblin. In 1981, the lot next to the store was bought, and the pharmacy was expanded to be twice its size. The Keystone Pioneer Museum With Roblin, you will find the excellent Keystone Pioneer Museum. The museum features pioneer agricultural artifacts, a large collection of old machinery, an original log cabin used by forest rangers in Duck Mountain, the Makarov Church that was built in 1910, a working sawmill, artifacts from the old hospital, and more. There's even a thatched roof house, a general store, Boston Cafe, the Roblin Review printing press, and displays from the Second World War. I will get into more detail about the house in a later section. During typical years, the museum also features a show day with log sawing, flower grinding, bread making, a slow tractor race, and more. There's also a pancake breakfast on the morning of opening day in May. Within the museum, group tours are also available to see everything on the grounds. The Bug Chucker Cup If you like fishing, then Roblin has one of the premier fly fishing competitions in all of Canada. Called the Bug Chucker Cup, it runs typically at the end of May or the beginning of June, taking place on the lakes around Roblin that are full of trout. Roblin is actually known as the fly fishing capital of Manitoba thanks to this tournament, and for decades people have been coming out to take advantage of the fly fishing opportunities in the community. One of the legendary fishermen in the area who's done well in the cup is Bill Pollock, and it is thanks to him that the event exists. It was originally launched in 2012 after Roblin hosted the Canadian Nationals in fly fishing, and it allowed him to see the potential for an event in the area. That first year, it hosted seven teams who caught 19 fish, but the number of participants and fish would grow. Typically, the tournament has as many as 25 teams coming out, with as many as 100 to 200 fish being caught. Wendell Estates of course, if fly fishing is not your thing, you can always come to Roblin to enjoy the gourmet honey that is offered through Wendell Estates. The origins of this farm go back almost 100 years and it remains a family business to this day. John Wendell began to keep bees in the area in the 1930s, always ensuring that his local customers received the best honey of the season. John had bought the first beehives and brought them to the area and before long it was his main source of income. In 1974, Tim Wendell left his teaching career to take over the honey farm from his parents when the farm had 600 beehives. Since that point, he has helped it grow to become one of the best honey producers not only in Manitoba, but Canada and even the world. In 2011, the Wendell Estates brand was launched and the farm now has over 4,000 beehives, producing 1.5 million pounds of honey each year. The company has won several international awards, including the Platinum Award at the 2020 London International Honey Awards, the only North American honey company to receive the honour. The company also appeared on Dragon's Den where it won praise from the judges. 
In 2018, Canadian Living magazine listed Wendell Estates Honey as an excellent Christmas gift. St. Vladimir's in 1941, the Ukrainian Redemptorist Fathers arrived in Roblin and would establish the Redemptorist Father College. At a cost of $40,000, construction started on the building, and by January of 1942 it was completed, and seven students began attending, while also playing hockey and football and learning Ukrainian dancing. It was the only Catholic high school in Manitoba outside of Winnipeg. The college would close from 1951 to 1956, while Canadian-born priests attended the University of Manitoba to earn degrees to become certified teachers. When they returned in 1956, they were hosting 22 students through several grades, with the first graduating class emerging in 1959. From the 1960s to the 1980s, the school averaged 40 to 50 students, reaching a peak of 65 in 1975. The buildings also served as a meeting place for those who followed the Ukrainian Catholic faith, and a chapel was built next to the building, the Holy Redeemer Ukrainian Catholic Church, in 1961. The dormitory was opened in the fall of 1961, accommodating 108 boys, and was opened by Premier Duff Roblin. The building and grounds continued to grow, including new renovations, a computer room, and an expanded kitchen. Unfortunately, by 1995, with a lower amount of priests coming in, the decision was made to have lay teachers rather than priests. Student enrollment continued to decline, and in June of 2002, the last class of seven students graduated and the building closed. In 2007, it was purchased and turned into a university entrance instruction building for students from South Korea. Notable Buildings One-room schoolhouses were a staple of education in the early history of the Prairie Provinces. Most of these schoolhouses are long gone, but Roblin still has one that can be seen and even visited, which is relatively rare. The Cromarty School was built in 1904 and was typical of the one-room multi-grade schools that existed in rural Manitoba at the time. Interestingly, while many one-room schools operated for decades, the Cromarty School only operated for seven years before its proximity to Roblin made it unnecessary. The building then became a church for a time before it was remodeled to be a community centre, including with a hardwood floor that was recovered from an old dance hall. Unusual for these buildings, the Cromarty School is still used on occasion and the grounds operated as a wayside stop on the highway. In 1999, it became a municipal heritage site. The Alaschuk House was built in 1910 and today is a rare example in the province of a Ukrainian vernacular-style residence with a traditional grass-thatched roof. The house is also one of the best surviving examples in the province of Ukrainian folk architecture. Built by Metro Alaschuk using natural materials obtained from the homestead itself, the home was used by the family for over 40 years until they left in 1951. Eventually, it was purchased by the museum and restored in 1987. Today, it sits at the Keystone Pioneer Museum Complex, and it was listed as a provincial heritage site on March 14, 1988. Interestingly, the house never had a chimney, which was common among Ukrainian folk housing. Instead of having a chimney, a stove smoke was directed up into the ceiling and then filtered through the thatched roof. This allowed the attic to be a smoke chamber where meats cured to preserve them for the winter, 
while also keeping the meat free from vermin. The railway station in Roblin was a vital link to the outside world for the community. Most rail stations have disappeared in communities, but Roblin is lucky enough to have one still around. As the Canadian Northern Railway was coming through, spurred on by agricultural development in the area, a new station was designed by the company's architectural division. The station was built in 1906 as a third-class station, which included a freight room and coal shed. The structure is located at First Avenue south of the intersection of Main Street and features a single-story design under a high pyramid roof, which was often common in the third-class design at the time. In 1991, the station was recognized as a National Historic Railway Station and today currently houses a restaurant. One of the earliest churches that exists in Roblin is the Knox United Church, located on 3rd Avenue. It was originally built in August of 1908 and then opened one year later. Prior to being constructed, church services were held at the CNR Freight Shed and in the upstairs of Newton's Hall. In order to build the new church, 100 loads of stone had to be brought in for the foundation. When it was finished, it was considered one of the best examples of a rural church in the entire province. The church operated for some time as a church until a new church was built nearby. Today, the building still operates but is now the home to the Roblin Life and Arts Centre. If you go just south of Roblin, you will come to the Tummel United Church, which was built in 1907 to replace a previous log church that was built in 1887. The church was built using volunteer labour and completed as funds became available. In addition, it is the oldest operating church in the entire area. The church was built originally as a Presbyterian church, but in 1916, a decade before the creation of the United Church of Canada, it merged with the Methodists to create a united church. The church stands to this day on a plot of farmland that was made a Manitoba historical site on September 14, 1993. Frederick Young Newton One notable person from Roblin is Frederick Young Newton, who was born on April 7, 1870 in Ontario, and would move out to Manitoba in the 1890s. After a time in Winnipeg and Dauphin, he would settle in Roblin in 1904 and open a private bank, while serving as the president of the Roblin Loan and Investment Company. Serving as the Reeve of Shell River in 1909, in 1911, he was elected to the Manitoba Legislature, representing the Roblin riding in the government of Rodman Roblin, the person who the town is named for. He would serve as an MLA until 1917, and then again from 1923 to 1932. In addition to serving in the legislature, he also served as the mayor of Roblin from 1920 to 1922, and from 1940 to 1943. He would pass away on May 17, 1959, and is buried at the Roblin Cemetery. William James Westwood Another notable individual from the community was William James Westwood. Born in Rapid City on August 19, 1887, he would attend the Brandon Baptist College and then serve as the manager of the Union Bank of Canada in Roblin from 1906 to 1917. He would replace Frederick Newton as the MLA for the area in 1917 and served until 1920. He would again be elected in 1933, serving until 1936 in the Manitoba Legislature. Like Newton, he also served as the mayor of Roblin, with his term running from 1944 to 1946. 
1946, he moved to Russell, Manitoba, and would pass away there in 1962. I hope you enjoyed my look at the community of Roblin, Manitoba, a really interesting community that you can check out on a cross-country drive or if you're ever in the area. If you did enjoy the episode, please give a rating and review. If you want to reach me, you can. Just email craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And again, you can support the podcast by going to Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Nick Zinri, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke Guess, Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. If you like, you can reach me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram. Just search for Bairdo37. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.